2: Welcome everybody. Welcome another episode of the Mavs Money Ball Podcast. I'm your host Jeffrey Cooperstein. Good to be with you guys. What a night last night. What a night for Luka Doncic. Sets his career high with 42 points. Another triple double in the 117-110 win over the Spurs. Doncic ends up with 42 points, 11 rebounds, 12 assists for another triple double. His sixth of the season. Uh, 14 of 27 from shooting, and it's th- this kid just surprised. Just we. When we think we can't be surprised by anything he does, he comes out and does something like this. And just absolutely takes over a game, gets in there in the fourth quarter, hits the dagger shot, beats the San Antonio Spurs, and now people are starting, people not even here in Dallas, but nationally are starting to see how good this kid really is. And he's just been an absolute force for this team, and it's, it's, uh, it's incredible to watch him night in and night out, especially after 21 seasons of watching Dirk Nowitzki play. We get to watch this kid for hopefully another twenty-one seasons, and it's it's going to be amazing. And it's only scratching the surface because he can't even legally drink alcohol in the United States yet. So, the Mavericks get off to a two zero start on the home stand, beating the Raptors one ten to one zero two, and then beating the Spurs one seventeen to one ten. And to uh, round out the home stand, they have the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers, who ironically enough matched up for three straight or four straight finals appearances. The Mavericks need to win both of those games and go 4-0 on this homestand to get themselves to 10-5. and After they go, because after that, you have the two tough games. You have, you're have you at Houston, and then you're back home against uh, the Clippers before Thanksgiving. So the Mavs really need to win these next two games to get on a roll and establish themselves as one of, the, one of the better teams in the Western Conference. And I'll get to this, but I wanted to tell you I have a very special guest coming on today. It's Edward Egros. And for those of you that don't know, Ed is an analytics guru. So we're going to talk a lot about analytics in basketball and specifically the three-pointer because that's something I'm very curious about and just why the Mavericks are insistent on shooting the three-pointer and only the three-pointer and that mid-range mid-range jump shots are just a thing of the past. So uh, we'll go to Ed here in just a minute. I just kind of wanted to uh, recap the what what's happened so far in the last couple of weeks. And it really, since I last talked to you guys, it really seems like Obviously, Doncic is playing great. It really seems like Porzingis is coming to his coming into his own a little more, which is fantastic to see. He is getting into the flow of the offense a lot more, and he's getting better shots. He's still missing some wide open shots, which is it's just going to happen with uh, with his rhythm issues and with his conditioning because he's not fully conditioned yet, I don't think. And w- once he gets there, the shots will fall, and the Mavericks will be fine. So that's what's going on in Mavsland right about now. Let's send it over to the interview with Edward Egross. I hope you guys enjoy it. just go to cars.com
0: It's magical.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to MAPS Moneyball Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Cooperstein. A very special guest coming on today, Ed Egross, the analytics guru, my personal analytics guru, as I like to call him, who I follow on Twitter. <laughs> go follow him. Uh, how's it going, Ed? Thanks for joining us. Uh,
1: my pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, I'm a tad bit surprised that you're still having me on because uh, earlier today I uh, was talking to your father, uh, Chuck Cooperstein about uh, football analytics, and of course uh, he poo-pooed something I said, and so I responded with a gif of me slapping him. Uh, <laughs> but thank you so much for having me on, regardless.
2: Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, he is my father is dead set against these basketball analytics, and that's exactly why I wanted to get you on to try to explain to everyone what exactly is going on in the NBA um, right now. The NBA is a three point or a layup league, and i oh. I, I just want to know I just want to know why because I. I'm of the of the opinion that mid-range jump shots are okay at some points, but there are coaches like Rick Carlisle of the Mavericks who just who don't want their players taking any mid-range shots. It's either a layup or a three. So why do you think that is, and how did we get to this point?
1: So we got to this point uh, in large part. Uh, Daryl Morey definitely has a lot to do with it because uh, he crunched it up. He looked at uh, a number of different metrics and basically concluded that uh, when it comes to expected value of a shot, Uh, where basically you take uh, how many points you're going to get for a shot and then multiply it by the probability of you making that shot. Um, Obviously, the highest percentage shots are those right underneath the rim. Um, Look at all the bigs who get a feed down low. Uh, Nobody's challenging them. They just deposit it with a dunk or a layup, whatever it is. And those are the highest percentage shots, right? Uh, Then as you move away from the basket, you are less likely naturally uh, to make those shots. And so when you have mid-range jumpers, uh, they still count for two. But once you get to that arc, Uh, then all of a sudden you add that additional point. And that point is huge because all of a sudden, if you're multiplying the number of points by the probability, then it goes way up once you add that additional point. And basically it's a glorified math problem. Um, And, you know, I'm going to be careful here because like, yeah, mid-range jumpers uh, are not, you know, the most efficient uh, in terms of offensive shot making and things like that. But uh, the Golden State Warriors in the Dynasty, they still shot some mid-range jumpers. Uh, They didn't shoot that many. They were on the lower end uh, when you were to to rank teams in terms of how many times they uh, attempt them and how many times they make them. Uh, But they were still much higher than, say, the Rockets, who almost don't take them at all. And I think even when it comes to to the Mavericks, I mean, I think this is something where Rick Carlisle is doing this. Certainly math has something to do with it, but he's also looking at his overall personnel and looking at the quality of shooters he has on the floor. And one of the points that I wanted to make uh, here is that The shooters that are there, yeah, uh, Luka Doncic is unbelievable, all that stuff. But when you look at the overall quality of shooters, they're not great. They're not terrible. They're roughly around average. And so if you're going to have roughly average shooters, why not attempt more threes than, say, long twos when uh, it almost doesn't matter because you have a certain level that's about the same regardless?
2: And I wanted to get into Luka Doncic. I actually have a couple of questions about him regarding this area. So he's about – this year he's been like – he's right at 30% from three. Why Why is it better for him to shoot from 30% at three at such inefficiency when he's such a good attacker of the rim? Why Why? why is he insistent on taking those three-pointers? And I, I – I, well, I think I know the answer why he's insistent. Why is Rick Carlisle insistent on having him still take those threes even if he's not shooting them at a high clip?
1: Well, it may not be at a high clip, no, but you still have to do something to sort of make those drives honest, right? Because if I know uh, as a defender that he is always going to try and drive, then there are certain things I can do to prepare for that. Whereas if he's taking three-pointers, again, with that extra point, you have a certain expected value that I think is helpful. uh, But also, too, you can defend it very differently. And to me, uh, no matter what the sport is, the biggest thing is to keep your defense guessing. And maybe you're not the most efficient in terms of shooting threes, but you're still trying them. And I think also, too, because offensive rebounding has been so good for the Mavericks, as I kind of look at some of the numbers in front of me right now, uh, offensive rebounding for the Mavericks has largely been pretty, pretty solid. Uh, Currently, they're seventh in the NBA in terms of offensive rebounding percentage at 24%. And so even if uh, Luka's not making it, somebody is getting that board uh, most of the time, or not most of the time, but... Uh, at a likelier frequency than all the six other teams in the NBA. And you look at the teams ahead of them, you got the Knicks. You know, they're the Knicks. Uh, Who beat the Mavericks twice, but... (laughs) Yeah, right, that's that's true. (laughs) Go figure. Uh, But you can certainly game plan for that, and that may be something to kind of think about in terms of, you know, sticking to your game plan versus actually playing your opponent. Uh, But I look at it and go, the offensive rebounding is really good. And keeping defenses guessing, I think, is uh, the ultimate key in terms of having a real superstar. And plus, I think we're also in the stage of the game where Luka is only in his second year. He's early in his second year. So why not work on things that maybe aren't as great uh, but you expect him to sort of regroup, and I think that's sort of the idea when it comes to Luca. Is that uh, it's not going to be thirty percent forever? At least you wouldn't imagine,
2: right? Yeah, we we always forget. I mean, this kid's twenty years old. It's his second year in the league. He's he's coming up on a hundred games. I don't think he's been quite there yet. Uh, this is right. your Mab, Mabs Moneyball Radio podcast. I'm Jeffrey Kuberschein here with Eddie Egross. Uh, another question I had about Luca: Is there a huge difference in expected value? when he's shooting it from 35 feet or from 30 feet versus shooting it right at the line. Is there a huge difference in that?
1: Well, one thing I was going to add, too, you know, sort of in that previous chat is, uh, I and I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I believe Luca for a long time was second in the NBA last year in step-back threes. Yes, now, he, yep. was, he was second next to Harden. By it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Harden, you know, was running away with that title. But step-back threes, I mean, it's not just the three, but the step-back three – uh, that's also, you know, very analytical and very forward-thinking. So that Luca was already second as a rookie uh, certainly tells you that he's capable of such things. And so uh, there may be a positive regression on the way as far as Lucas is concerned. Uh, but whether it's 35, 30 feet, um, I don't exactly have the numbers in front of me right now. But uh, you know, to me, I think in terms of being above the break, uh, you know, the closer you can get while still getting at three, I think that's better uh, in general. Uh, But, you know, players can't be different. Uh, You know, sometimes the, you know, certain players like to be a certain distance away. They just feel more comfortable. Maybe, you know, having that step back is a little bit more critical than, say, uh, shooting it from the corner. You look at a number of different shot charts from different players, and some are less comfortable in the corner because they need that step back ability just because they're more comfortable having a little little bit of breathing room from the defender. So uh, it just depends on what the feel is
2: so as as time goes on in the NBA and in uh, this this can apply to other sports too uh are do you think players are getting more receptive to analytics and are they integrating them into into their day to day into their film watching, into their preparations for games and if not how how do you get a player to buy into what what the analytic people are telling you
1: i I'll start with the with the last part first. I think the best way you get someone to buy into you is to prove that it's going to make them better. And I think having that trust is super duper critical. I look at say Lucas situation and granted he's young. So that certainly helps. Um, but you know, when it comes to any player, all you need is for a coach to come in and say, Hey, look, this is analytical. It's going to make you better. Yeah. You may have to adjust something, but overall it's going to be better for the team. We're going to win more games this way. Uh, I think once you're going to sell it that way, then it's fine. The biggest uh, pushback when it comes to analytics Uh, involving the player level really has more to do with contracts and has more to do with negotiations uh, for the next pay period. And by that, I mean, the idea is, well, analytics say, I'm not that good. Uh, I know it's another sport here, but uh, this was sort of the Michael Young thing uh, from the Texas Rangers, where Michael Young, uh, you know, by many accounts, when he was playing, was seen as a decent defender, but down the road, we were looking at zone rating and things like that. And we realized, well, actually, was was making things look much tougher than they needed to be. And yeah, he would have these dazzling plays, but it turns out he wasn't uh, as good of a defender at shortstop uh, as say, what, what you really needed. And so that's why all of us ultimately got the job and he's a great shortstop in terms of defense, things like that. But I look at, I look at what's going on in basketball and I say, yeah, analytics may sort of reevaluate certain players, but coaches still want to win games, and they still want to maximize what they're getting out of their players and putting them in the right positions to uh, succeed. And I think that's why uh, the revolution has been largely embraced because, I mean, players do want to win. They want to get a bunch of points, and they want their stat lines to look really good. And if they're being shown what to do, then I think it works. And really, it's more up to the coaches to adjust approaches, game design, things like that, than say it is for the players to take in so much information. Because think about it, a player can have information overload and think too much about too many different things, right? and then you're completely defeating the purpose. So what needs to happen is it's up to the coach to deliver just the right information and not bog down someone mentally.
2: And again, another sport, but going back to baseball, that's what Chris Woodward is trying to do with the Texas Rangers he's trying to implement an, an analytical philosophy but he's trying to give it to the guys in in spurts to where they're not overloaded with information cuz i think that's a really right. big thing for these guys because obviously they have all this information to them but if you give it too much it might put too much on their plate and they might they might think about it too much and in in turn it right. won't help at all
1: right Exactly, and that's that's the idea: is giving just what's needed, but not everything. And I mean, that's been that's been something that's been going on in sports for a long time. Um, coaches always have to be selective in terms of what they deliver. It's just now that information is a little bit different. Now, I think players are smarter in general, and so they can handle more information because they're shown more things. But at the end of the day, you can't show anybody everything.
2: Right, right. And then, so do you think that that this whole I I is it appropriate to call it a revolution? Can, is that what we can call it? I would. Okay, so we'll call it a revolution. Uh, is it appropriate yeah. that, do you, like, do you think that you'll you'll keep seeing less and less people who may not have a basketball background, but they'll have an analytics or even a mathematics background that'll be uh, prominent figures in front offices who are making those those basketball decisions that that affect the the actual team, if that makes sense.
1: It does. And it's kind of tricky to say at this point, because I think, you know, industry bases are, are all all, all around us. You know, it's, it's something where uh, a lot of schools are having sports analytic majors or they have sports analytic master's programs, whatever it might be. But there are a lot of people who get hired who aren't a part of that either. And so it's really more of an academic question. How are things uh, evolving? And at, at the end of the day, it's just like any other industry. Who do you know, and how can they help you? And I think what we're finding is that it almost – like, I know people who are in analytic uh, analytics and front offices at, at various professional teams, and they don't have a master's degree. But their undergraduate program was so robust, and they were so brilliant when it came to coding, uh, that there was a spot point. Uh, whereas there are other places where they really want someone with a Ph.D. or a master's degree. But – Um, they're only challenged so much because they can only do so much. So it's still very much uncertain. Um, There's a lot of variability in it right now where things are going. I'm not exactly sure, but I would argue that I think you're going to see more players, more former players trying to embrace these tools a little bit more because they have an end when it comes to knowing certain people and having abilities uh, to be in front offices. And so this will be something where I expect more players to be coming in and wanting to have some sort of role in analytics, uh, having you know hoping to supplement their knowledge bases, because at, at this point right now, analytics is only helping them insofar as how to make their own games better. Players, if they want to be in front offices and have some role in analytics, they want to know everything. Uh, and they just won't have that ability to because they're only worrying about themselves or how their role is in relation to a team. So I think that part is going to be changing and I think more players will embrace it from that standpoint because it will uh, help them become likelier to become a coach or a manager or a GM, whatever it might be.
2: Awesome. This is the Money Moneyball Podcast. Jeffrey Cooperstein along with Eddie Egross here. Uh, two last questions for you. Where do you think the Mavericks are on the scale of analytic revolution? Are they, are they want to, are they at the forefront or are they kind of lagging behind? And if, if, lagging behind what can they do to get to get up to speed so i i think when it comes to
1: mark cuban uh he's certainly embracing these tools a good bit and so i certainly don't think the mavericks are behind as far as that's concerned um do i think they're at the forefront uh it's really hard to tell and i would hate to be the type who says uh well because you know the mavericks have only won so many games how far they are in the analytic revolution uh it's not that way at all now Certainly what you're seeing is that teams that are, on the rev- that are at the forefront tend to be more analytical. The Warriors are very analytical. The Raptors are certainly analytical. We've talked about the Rockets before. Uh, but there are also teams that are analytical, and they're not doing very well. Uh, there was a time uh, when, say, the 76ers, uh, when they were tanking a lot, they were sort of at the forefront of the analytic revolution. And I would argue that tanking doesn't help. Now, they're a pretty solid team right now, uh, but they have their own problems. So it, it, it's something where I wouldn't guarantee that they're going to win the East. But uh, in terms of where the Mavericks are, I'd say they're definitely in the upper half. Uh, how things turn out, it's really hard to say, and how, how they sort of make things better. It's hard for me to say without actually being there and evaluating what they're doing. Um, but I think having Luka uh, and trading for him, uh, that was an obvious sign that the Mavericks know what they're doing. And this was a guy who it was difficult to exactly see what he was going to become in large part because you have to adjust for, you know, opponent strength. Right. Uh playing out in Europe. And so, yeah, he's playing against other professionals. But how much better are they than, say, the American college game? Uh, that's not easy to tell. So you have to make certain adjustments, but the fact that the Mavericks still did that and they traded up one spot and they were able to anticipate exactly where he's going to be, I think obviously a lot of data had to get crunched to figure that out and they have done it the right way.
2: Awesome, awesome. And then the last question I had is how do you think like like broadcast networks and TV networks, how can they use analytics to to give the message to the fan so that the fan can kind of understand how these analytics are being applied? Because I feel like that's that's something I would like to see a lot more. Like, for instance, on a TNT broadcast, if they showed if they showed some more advanced statistics, that maybe I would understand what a team is trying to do more. So, do you think that's something we could see in the future as as far as broadcasting goes?
1: I think you're seeing it in other sports. Um, it's kind of ironic that uh, in terms of uh, the great race, in terms of being more analytical and being more transparent about your analytics. Uh, I think for a long time, baseball was a a clear cut number one, and then basketball was a clear cut number two. Now I would argue that actually football is advancing past basketball in large part because of next-gen stats. So on football, you're talking about expected completion percentage based upon a number of different factors, how close a defender is to the receiver, uh, how close the receiver is to the sideline versus down the middle of the field, those kinds of things. Uh, And with next-gen stats, you can look at speed of running backs, you can look at uh quarterback time to throw all of those factors have been used uh to better evaluate overall playing ability in basketball while we have cameras at every single arena that are measuring a number of different things uh it's not nearly as transparent as say uh what football is up to and so to me what needs to happen i think for everyone to appreciate it more is to have those raw physical traits available to us at any given moment Um, and then actually use those tools to something that's actually useful. So for instance, um, you have stats that are readily available, like how fast a player is, how many miles they cover uh, in one basketball game versus an entire season. And that's great. But how do you use those metrics uh, to better evaluate how well someone defends or how well an offensive rating is in relation that part hasn't quite happened yet. So the physical measurables that are available at a basketball game, we have yet to figure out exactly how to translate that into something that's useful in terms of expected points, expected defense, those kinds of things. Once that step happens, then I think you're going to see a lot more analytics and broadcasts.
2: Well, there you have it. Ed, thanks so much for joining me today. I really got some good information out, and I got definitely some questions I wanted answered. So much appreciate you coming on. Uh, Hope we can talk again soon.
1: Pleasure's all mine.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, That was Edward Egross. When we come back, we will wrap up the show and look ahead to the Mavs schedule the next week. Thanks so much to Ed for joining us. I thought that was a really great interview and gave some good insight on why the Mavericks are are really just trying to revolutionize the game, basically, and shoot more threes than any other team, even more so than the Houston Rockets. Uh, So that will do it for your Mavs Moneyball podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Guberstein. Thanks so much for joining us today. You can find the podcast on Apple, on Google Play, on Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Coop27. You can find Mavs Moneyball on Twitter at Mavs Moneyball. And you can also find the podcast there as well. Uh, So thanks for joining us. And we'll be back with you next week for another episode. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.